Welcome to Walls of Time, field interviews with the best in bluegrass. Welcome back to the Walls of Time Bluegrass Podcast. I'm Daniel Mullins. Thank you all so much for the kind words and overwhelming response we had to the rollout of season three last week. It's been just overwhelming with all the kind words and how much you guys enjoyed our conversation with Jamie Daly last week and everybody that's just said they've been anxiously awaiting the podcast to come back. So thank you guys so much for hanging in there with us over the last few years. We had a bit of a hiatus and uh, for rallying back as we kicked off our third season. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to the Walls of Time Bluegrass podcast wherever you enjoy your podcasts, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or more. Be sure to hit that subscribe button. That way you'll be in the loop. Uh, New episodes will load directly onto your uh, smart device or onto your, your podcast listening platform. And it goes a long way to help support what we do here at the Walls of Time Bluegrass podcast. Also, five-star ratings and reviews are very much appreciated. Uh, those go a long way in helping make sure that other folks who are fans of bluegrass find out about the Walls of Time Bluegrass podcast. I'd also appreciate it if you give us a like and a follow on Facebook or Instagram at Walls of Time Bluegrass podcast. Uh, I guess the at would be at Walls of Time podcast. So if you can find us on Instagram or Facebook, we post all, all sorts of cool cool things on there, some snippets from different interviews, photos, things going on in bluegrass and behind the scenes. So you want to stay in the loop. So be sure to give us a like and a follow on Facebook and Instagram. And don't forget to subscribe to the Walls of Time Bluegrass podcast. Thank you so much. Mentioned last week that we have a lot of tricks up our sleeve and uh, some new things we're tackling here in season three. And one of those starts today. Uh, For the first time, we have a few couples interviews for the Walls of Time Bluegrass podcast. Uh, As uh, the first couple seasons rolled on, I thought, man, what am I going to do when it gets time to interview uh, folks that are joined at the hip as a team whose stories cannot be separated for a sit-down conversation like this? And thankfully, with how well the first couple seasons went, I was able to invest in some new podcasting equipment to allow me the possibility to sit down and have a conversation with more than one subject. And the first of those is rolling out today. As I sit down with the sweethearts of bluegrass, Darren and Brooke Aldridge, we shared a lot of laughs during this interview, and it was a whole lot of fun. We recorded this during the only ever fall Merle Fest. That'd be fall of 21, uh, as everybody was trying to figure out uh, what to do, and live events were starting to come back. And they held Merle Fest in the fall that year instead of its typical spot on the calendar in April. And uh, myself and Darren and Brooke had a big time chatting it up in a hotel just down the road before uh, they went on and had a bunch of great performances at Merle Fest that weekend. So here's my conversation with the sweethearts of bluegrass, Darren and Brooke Aldridge. Enjoy. All right, sitting here with the official Sweethearts of Bluegrass. <laughs> uh, I know that's been a moniker you guys have had for a while. Uh, you guys met through church, is that right? We did. We did, and our families, yeah. We were from, well, I was from the same hometown that all of his family's from, so. Avery County, It, it was meant to happen at some point, wasn't it? And going back to the Sweethearts of Bluegrass, you know who gave us that name? Who named Dixie Hall. Oh, that's Tom that's going to be special. Yeah, it was. Said that, you know, about us years ago. And people still use it occasionally. But it's a, a cool thing to remember there. Especially from another pair of bluegrass sweethearts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You wow. never saw one without the other, did you? No. With Tom T. and Dixie, so. Wow. That's special. Um, so, if I'm not mistaken, your, what, third cousin was a preacher at her church. That's right. You did your homework. Yeah. You know. You heard the story, ain't you? <clears throat> Something like that. But we're not cousins, right? No, nah, we checked into it before we got married. Kind <laughs> <laughs> of dot those eyes across those teeth. <laughs> you said Avery County, North Carolina. It's Cherryville, North Carolina. Yep. Is that kind That's of where the, we live? The, where you guys live? But where Brooke was was from was from Avery County, and mm-hmm. so was my family. Okay. So uh, she's going to church with your kin. So how how long did they try to get you to come visit 
their church to um, hear their new gospel. We'd heard about each other probably for a couple years, right? We did, before yeah. Before we actually met. Yeah. It was uh, telling me, oh, this girl is fixing to graduate. She's going to college. Boy, she can sing good. She's beautiful. And she heard the same things about me, you know. Oh, how he good could sing I good. Was, he was beautiful. Was yeah. Sing, <laughs> and, you know. We emailed back and forth, I think, for just a little bit, and then we talked on the phone one time. Yeah, I was trying to figure out more about the music business because I, you know, I really sure wanted was. to pursue a career in music, but I just didn't know how to go about it. And my parents had, you know, took me to singing competitions and really tried to encourage me to follow this dream since I was little, and uh, so I didn't really know where to go from that point when I got to be a teenager. So I started uh, questioning Darren. Um, and he would give me some advice, you know, on what he thought I should do. And then uh, I guess a couple of years yeah. later, when I was in college, I was picking with a band that were good Mutual friends. friend of ours and, and, uh, asked us to come, asked me to come up and play with y'all's band. Yep, at a church. And then, uh, and then the rest is history. The kinda. rest is history. <laughs> <laughs> you were predominantly singing gospel music at the time. Is that, is that right? Yeah. Um, when I had the band, that's what we did, mostly churches. Um but as a kid, I sang a lot of country and a lot of Southern gospel music, of course, growing up in church singing. But, um, yeah, so I, I guess I grew up on, you know, like the late 80s and early 90s country. I loved all that stuff. Oh, the yeah. new traditionalist stuff. So <laughs> That's <good>. right. <laughs> <laughs> Who were some of your favorites? Oh, gosh. Uh, of course, Emmylou and Dolly for the older country stuff. And then um, Linda Ronstadt. I loved, um, let's see, I loved... Martine McBride and Patty Loveless and Vince Gill and you know all those great artists. I mean, Darren laughs now because there's never a song that comes on the '90s country station uh, that I don't know. So. <laughs> he knows all the words. <laughs> <laughs> that was just my time, though. So <laughs> you you started singing in church, though, right? I did. Yeah, my mom and sisters and I used to sing a lot. And uh, where I came from, we had a really great choir. That I mean, it wasn't like your typical. Uh, church where you know you had choir practice every Sunday night or whatever I mean we just kind of got up and sang and it everybody just kind of had a part and it sounded good it just flowed together didn't it is that yeah. mountain singing I don't know <laughs> they'd call the choir up from the congregation and 75 percent of the congregation would leave their seats and go to the choir <laughs> yeah and sing which they should have just stayed by just standing in their place and sing <laughs> <clears throat> but it's always good. It was, it was. That's that's really I credit a lot of my my singing early on coming from church and my parents. You know, my mom was a really great singer, but she's real shy, so she doesn't sing out like like I always have. So I'm really grateful to my parents for encouraging me. What's so special about getting your feet wet singing in church versus you know other sorts of the of, of outlets that you could have pursued? Um. Well, just the fact that. You know, I know God gave me the talent, um, so that's really special to think about. But also, um, like I was saying with my choir and stuff in my hometown church, there was just a, a certain way that we sang that really taught me a lot about singing, kind of like shape note singing. Um, and just, don't you think, Darren? Mm -hmm. I mean, really, is is I have to credit a lot of that. And just the songs and the meaning, like I feel like I got, I understood how to sing a song with feeling, mm -hmm. you know, when I started singing in church. Yeah, and because so many, especially if it's uh, one of those mountain style churches that has, you know, kind of the the older gospel music. Yeah. the The lyrics of some of those old hymns are so uh, deep and meaningful, and have so many, you know, so much spirit in them. Yeah. That uh, learning how to convey that and what how to interpret a song with the way you sing it, it's that's got to be really good training exactly yeah you know what you're singing about when you're in church I think so um so yeah I credit a lot of that to to the good lord of course and then my family for taking me to church as a kid it, you mentioned the style of singing and a lot of that uh those types of churches have uh, a lot of emphasis on parts more than you would think with especially compared to some more you know modern worship music where everyone's just kind of just just kind of just hop in there, you know, there's a little bit more emphasis on some of the part. You mentioned the shape note style, which not that you were, you didn't necessarily say it was a shape note church, but th that's, that's still sort of emphasis on the, the four part harmonies and everything. Exactly. That had to be really good practice. Yeah, exactly. So I'm very, I'm very thankful for that. Mm -hmm. Same way with me. I mean, I, I always heard mama any, any time a song was on the radio or you're listening to stuff on TV or. Opry was on or at church 
standing beside of her, I mean, all she sung was alto all the time, you know. So I heard the parts very early on, and so did you. I think your mom sang alto too. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you could just hear that harmony from a young age and then trying to figure that out. You develop your ear as you go, you know. We're still still developing and singing, <laughs> you know, together, always practicing. <laughs> now, it was uh, while the... Uh, the rumor that you had heard about this good-looking feller over here <laughs> mm-hmm. was that he was playing with the legendary country gentleman. He was, yeah. How did uh, that opportunity come about, Darren? That was your first gig, like first big gig, right? Yeah, I guess I met those guys at Spigma in Nashville for the convention there in February. And I was down there the year before in the band competition, and I was probably 19 at the time. And a friend of mine that I was in the competition with was uh, Eddie Biggerstaff. And you've heard Eddie probably playing with a lot of folks down through the years. He started in our band first, but uh, he'd played with, you know, of course, Blue Ridge and all that different things, Alan Bobby's band. But uh, when we had the band, he was pretty close by Shelby. He knew Matthew Allred real well that was playing with the gents. And he went over and introduced me uh, to those guys. And Greg Corbett and Ronnie Davis had heard me singing in there. And they said, you interested in a job? I think Matthew might leave sometime soon. And um, so they called me about a year later and uh, asked me if I'd come try out. And Greg knew I was from the other side of Charlotte, which, which he was from the eastern side of Charlotte. So we lived about an hour and a half apart. So he was thinking that's a good riding partner too. <laughs> <laughs> Always got to have a good riding buddy, right? <laughs> but uh, yeah, I just went and tried out down in Troy, North Carolina that year, and uh, I sang about three songs with Charlie. And then he asked me if I could play Rawhide. And then uh, after that, he said, "Well, we got a show in about two weeks, and give me a stack full of CDs." And said, "Learn these. We already know them." <laughs> that's the charlie line right there <laughs> so uh, i started traveling with them in 99 i think it was late 99 you're what 1920 yeah was that uh was that intimidating to join the country gentleman and kind of uh, stand in the same shoes as folks like john duffy and Dole lawson and jimmy goodrow and- maybe a a little but i was still young and and always had a real drive to to do it you know and that's exactly what I set out to do. So when I got that job, I, of course, practiced and worked all that I could and developed singing and playing. You know, I probably didn't have the voice that they was used to at the time, but I worked into it, you know, as I went. Uh, he's seen enough potential in me. And, and any young artist, you know, that goes along in the band, uh, you develop and get to cut the gig as you go. So uh, we honed into a, a great blend, Greg and I, with Charlie, I thought. And learned to, to sing behind him. I think earlier in life, you know, with Duffy and with Dole and, you know, Charlie was at his prime back in those days and they all had very good power. And Charlie's voice was always good, but I think in his his older years he didn't have the power. So me and Greg never sang over him. You yeah. know, we didn't overpower him. We sang with him. Yeah. And uh, so that's what we learned to do. Take care of him as you sing, you know, all those years. Um what were some great lessons that you learned from Charlie Waller, especially as a young musician? Well, just, uh, you know, I, I relate a lot of things to, to our band. You know, everything kind of all revolves around Brooke's voice, which in uh, the gents, everything revolved around Charlie's voice. So the whole, whole show is directed toward, you know, her and, and our singing and, and the harmony and, that, and the pick of the songs. I think Charlie never hardly recorded a bad song. You know, and we try to look out for those same things. Uh, what was Charlie like in his, you know, later in life? Oh, man, he was uh, funny, just a, a good old down-to-earth country boy. That's all he wanted to be, you know. He loved to, to eat beans and go fishing and have his shotgun by his side and sing bluegrass music and be with his friends and family. That's one of the things he loved more than anything. You got any good Charlie Waller stories from your times with the gents? <laughs> Brooke's shaking her head. He's so. got some some great great stories. <laughs> good or bad? <laughs> <laughs> you got? Can you tell him about the his little switchblade knife thing that he had with the fork on it? Oh, uh, he was just you know a country guy, and he used to always say, especially you being from Ohio, we played up there a lot. Yeah. You know, a lot of y'all's uh, shows up there, and he'd say we'd turn the bus loose in Virginia. Sometimes they'd just go to Ohio. <laughs> 
<laughs> we was interviewing uh, with someone right before he died, actually, uh, a couple months. Brooks loves this story, and he's sitting there kind of like we are now. And we just got through, I think we was at the Podunk Festival. And uh, he was eating a salad that was, you know, in the the food aisle after the show. And was fixing to take off, and this guy wanted to interview him. And he, about six months before, he got a great gift, a hobo knife set from Case. So it had a spoon and a fork on it and screwdriver and just everything, you know, in that. And um, he thought that was great. So he'd eat with that most of the time with his outing where he wouldn't use any other silverware. He wanted to use his knife, and his fork, and spoon. So he'd sit in there with that thing, and that guy was talking to him. And every now and then he'd jab at that salad. And I'm sitting there just watching. <clears throat> I'm thinking, what's he doing? <laughs> <laughs> so he'd talk a little more and he'd jab again at that salad and then he finally he finally got something and that stuff was outside and everything so he had a bug in his salad <laughs> <laughs> and he was sitting there eating around it and he jabbed that bug and just kind of wiped it off on his you know his pants and wiped that fork off and just kept on digging <laughs> <laughs> Story. I mean, <laughs> that's that's just that's just old he's, fashioned. Oh yeah, <laughs> you know? he was old timey, old fashioned. You know, he used to get on me and Greg and Ronnie about wanting to take a shower every day before the show. You know, and stuff in the bus. A lot of times in the winter time, he wouldn't keep water in the bus, afraid it'd freeze. You know, we'd get a hotel room or somewhere and stop and get a shower, and he'd pick on us and say, "That, that bathing weakens you boys." <laughs> <laughs> me and Adcock and Eddie used to shave out of a hubcap off the car in the early days you know, <laughs> down by the river that's what y'all need to do bathing <clears throat> weekend yeah bathing weekend you gotta remember you. that daniel <laughs> but it was a great experience i wouldn't take anything for it you know wow uh, so when did you finally take the plunge and go meet her at church it was probably 2006 i imagine don't you think yeah or was it late 2005 um, I we was playing with the Circuit Riders band at that time. We yeah. put out one record. I think it was right at the end of 2005 and, uh, when, we, when you came to the church. Mm -hmm. But we had two gigs that day, um, the band that I was playing with. And like Darren said earlier, they all knew him well from Spigma and stuff like that and had just formed a friendship. And um, it was kind of funny when he, when he first came in the church that morning, I thought, Oh my gosh, that's Darren Aldridge. Like, you know, <laughs> what's he doing here? And, uh, and somehow like after we had rehearsed and everything, um, the church service had started and we were standing on the same, uh, well, we weren't standing on the pew, but we were standing in the same, <laughs> we was in, the aisle. in the aisle. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't know how the rest of the band got on the other side of the church in a different pew. And Darren and I, it was, we were the only two right there. Don't and know how that happened. I don't know how that happened. And uh, <laughs> and the preacher told us to join hands, everybody, the congregation, to, to pray. And I thought, I don't want to hold his hand. I don't even know this guy. <laughs> but but we did, and uh, we we like to we like to say that was God's way of telling us that something was gonna happen eventually, mm -hmm. didn't we? Yeah. <laughs> I think Darren might know how that happened. <laughs> I, I, I have that feeling too, Same Daniel. Off. Yeah. <laughs> He's a guy. I'm, <laughs> I prayed for a long time. <laughs> uh, same here. Hello, folks. My brother-in-law, Daniel, introduced me to Samson's Dead Sea Clay two months ago, and I've been using it ever since. It's the only product I've found that not only gives me that multiple matte finish I've been looking for, but also leaves my hair feeling healthier when I wash it out. So if you're like me and want healthy, stylish hair, go to samsonshaircare.com and use promo code BLUEGRASS to save 10% and order Samson's Dead Sea Clay today. Now, you mentioned 2005. Is that the same year that you played uh, inauguration at the White House? Yes. What was that experience like? George oh, W. Man, Bush's was, second term, right? Right, that was great. Uh, we originally had that booked, you know, with Charlie. But after Charlie died in, in late August uh, 2004, Randy was playing with us that last year, and that's Charlie's oldest son. So we finished out several gigs that we had booked, and that was one of them. You know, it was a great experience. It was a good time. They really took care of us well. 
I think we opened for Lee Greenwood, one of the shows, and then uh, another one was a pretty big ball party they had, you know. And uh, so it was a good time. Got to stay in a really cool place downtown Washington. And uh, was there for two days. And Yeah, that was cool. Did you get meet the president? No. Oh, man. I know. <laughs> he came in um, and sat, you know, up high above one time when we was playing for the Lee Greenwood show. It, it doesn't make you nervous at all looking out and seeing the president, does it? No, nah, it didn't at the time. <laughs> <laughs> Darren doesn't get very nervous, or at least he says he does it, so. <laughs> it, was, it was good. I voted for him, so <clears throat> I was happy. <laughs> if it more nervous, if Probably. it had been somebody you hadn't voted Probably. for, right? Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if he knows. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> So, did uh, when you guys finally met at church service, did it was the the chemistry instantaneous after you held hands and bowed your heads? I remember hearing her sing that day in the in the back room or whatever, and the two guys that they'd been working up with singing were good, but I immediately wanted to to throw my part in there. You know, <laughs> I've always, you know, learned to sing and learned to sing harmony and. You know, I sung so much listening to like Ricky and Vince and all those guys singing and with, uh, you know, with Patty and any of the other females I'd hear on the radio singing. I always wanted to, to do that. And the more Brooke was cutting it then, as good as she is now. And uh, immediately we, we started singing good together, you know. I kind of pushed some other two guys out of the way. <laughs> in an innocent, Funny how that works, Innocent right? yeah, that yeah. day. But uh, <laughs> I was like, let me sing a couple. You know, but, <laughs> yeah, it... Uh, it wasn't probably instant for me because I, I had just come out of a relationship, so I was still You're kinda, still young. Well, that too. How old were you, Brad? Um, I was probably about 21, I'd say. Okay. But, uh, yeah, I was just, uh, you know, I was nervous because I knew the musical background that he had came from, you know, so I thought, oh, my gosh, you know. And then my best friend, Natalie, um, who used to go with us on a lot of trips, she said, what if this is the guy that you marry? She said that that exact day, and I said, I don't even know him. How can you even say that? <clears throat> you know, but it's funny to look back on that now, and uh, and the guys that I was playing with at that time, too, were they were very encouraging, you know, to try to get me to, you know, have a relationship with Darren. You know, they were like, this guy really likes you. And, He's uh, pushing us out you, of the way. Yeah, so <laughs> you should give it a shot. So <laughs> I, I, I took to. their advice, though. <laughs> It had to work out, you know, you said you grew up listening to a lot of, uh, you know, 90s country, like, yeah. you know, Patty and folks like that. And then you, I mean, Vince Gill's one of your big heroes, yeah. too, growing up, right? Yeah, sure was. I remember, of course, listening to Ricky and Vince. My mom was a huge Ricky Skaggs fan. And Amy Lou, and I remember hearing the vinyl records just forever growing up as a kid. All that stuff. So it was, even before I liked it, it was, you know, soaking in my head. So, so you were much. a big Beach Boys fan, weren't I you? I was. That was one of the first people I, I started singing with about the time that uh, a couple of those movies came out in the early 80s, you know, like La Bamba. Um, there was a lot of things on Brian, Brian Adams. Uh, I forget exactly the movie that was out there at that time, but I heard that sound and that harmony and singing, and I immediately wanted to do that. Do you think that, you know, Loving the, the harmony that the Beach Boys had is something that maybe appealed to you about bluegrass? It did. Really? Definitely. When when did the, the bluegrass bug bite you? Like, when did that switch flip? Probably <clears throat> when I was 15, I guess. Now, my, my family, of course, being from the mountains and all, and we clogged. My mom had a clogging team, so I was forever. Did you clog? Yeah. I was forever hearing... That we might, to, you might, we might have to make you put your money where your mouth is. Like, Go get your board. <laughs> get your board. But, you can borrow Brooke or Santana's boots. Oh, me. But I was hearing all that kind of music, you know, but I, I think the big bug bit me when I saw the Opry in 94, and they had a very good special that was on with, with Earl, Vince, Ricky, Marty, Allison, and Roy Husky, and it was on for the whole hour. And uh, Mom had told me that that was coming on, and we, we taped it on a VHS tape. <laughs> <clears throat> you know, and it's the first time, I guess, I'd really heard those guys play bluegrass that way. You know, I'd heard a lot of the records and stuff, and I just start, started learning to play banjo a little bit, singing the guitar with, with the company myself, you know, about 14 years old. So when I saw that and those guys that I'd always looked up to and they was playing bluegrass and Earl was from Shelby right there close by. 
it, I started learning everything I could. Yeah, just just seeing that. Okay, bluegrass can be cool. <clears throat> you know, yeah, exactly, exactly. And uh, like that week, a guy in, in high school that uh, was in the the band with us, as far as uh, you know, kind of classical marching band. He said we go to church, and we're looking for somebody to play like guitar and banjo and sing with us. And he'd heard me singing like country things throughout school, you know, different events and. So would you come come play and sing with us? I said, can you play banjo some? I said, well, I'm learning, you know. <laughs> so that gave me, you know, a kick to really start learning when I got with them. It's like, oh, I, I've got an outlet here to play and sing. And uh, I was the banjo player at that time. Just traded off a little bit on guitar, but we worked up a quartet tune to uh, play uh, one of the Bill Monroe classics with the quartet, Guitar and Mandolin, and it was in G. The mandolin player we had could only play mandolin in A and in D. And he used capo for anything else if it was higher, you know. He'd never really played that much in G, so uh, the Monroe, it was get on your knees and pray, it was in G. <clears throat> I told him he needed to do it like this, and he's like, man, I can't. And I said, well, let me see if I can figure it out for you. First time I ever touched a mandolin. And I went upstairs and, and got the VCR tape, and learned it on the mandolin right then and come down and showed it to him. I was like, well, this is how they're kicking it off. You know, it took me about 10 minutes to figure it out. He said, well, you just play it. <laughs> so that's how I started playing mandolin. That's awesome. And from then on, I was just, you know, I didn't even own one. But he let me keep keep one of his for a while, you know, and after about six months or something, or a few few months, I got an old cheap mandolin, a trade lot or something, you know. <laughs> and then went on from there. That's how I started playing mandolin all the time. Wow. When did the when did bluegrass start perking uh, your interest, peaking your interest, Brooke? Um, probably when I was not till I was a teenager, really. I mean, I'd heard like the Isaacs, of course, but I associated that with church music, you know. Which yeah. I, I didn't even think about the them being bluegrass, you know, necessarily. Um, but a guy at my church um, who. Actually, I ended up being in the band with later on when Darren came along. When Darren, one of the guys Darren shoved out of the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, well, he was a family friend, too, and uh, he he gave me a Ron Vincent CD, and uh, I think it was the Raging Live that she did at the Ryman. And I instantly, I mean, I'd, I think I'd heard some of her stuff earlier on the radio, but I never really paid attention until he gave me the CD, and he said, you need to start singing more of this kind of stuff. You know, and, and I fell in love with that album, um, probably wore it out. But, um, but yeah, it, it was probably about 15 or 16, I'd say. What was it about Rhonda and about that album that just kind of lit you up? Just her drive and like her energy, you could hear just Rhonda as an entertainer is, is amazing. You know, she really, she can hold the audience in the palm of her hand and you can hear that even on a CD. Um, but yeah, just the way she sings a song and delivers it, um, you know, that really taught me a lot. I think growing up, how how I wanted to to sing and mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, and and she has that same kind of power in her voice like some of the other country artists that you were listening to as well. Yeah. So it, it's kind of a easy easy transition. Definitely, you know? yeah. yeah, yeah. And I thought, why haven't I been listening to this already? You know, as as a kid growing up and stuff. But um, but yeah, I instantly fell in love with it and started listening to more and more stuff. And of course, when I met Darren, he he opened a whole new. Uh, you know, avenue of music to me too through the bluegrass world. So sometimes all, that's all it takes is that one record or that, you know, that one TV special yeah. that just yeah. kind of just, it's like, man, it just unlocks that keys to like a whole new world of music for folks. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah. And I, you know, I remember hearing Allison and stuff on country radio as she was becoming huge, you know, probably even younger than 15. But like I said, I didn't even associate that with bluegrass at that time in my yeah. life. Cause I didn't, I didn't know. Yeah. So it's like, oh, that's just, that's more country. Like, you know, just yeah. by association. Right. I yeah. just needed a history lesson, so. <laughs> <laughs> um, it seems like you, from the way you've you've talked, that Darren's given you some history lessons over the years. <laughs> Absolutely. He has, for sure. <laughs> and my, my grandpa, my dad's dad, used to sit out in his truck every Saturday and uh, listen to, to, you know, bluegrass music, because that's when our local radio station played it. And, you know, I just... 
as a kid, I remember running around outside playing in the yard and hearing it, but I guess I just didn't take that appreciation to it, you know. But I knew it was Bill Monroe. I always heard his name, and I always heard him on the Opry when we'd listen with my grandparents. So, yeah, it was it was just always instilled in me in some way. It just had to – I had to find it. Did your grandpa get to see you uh, become a big bluegrass star? No, he didn't. He, he passed away when I was in the seventh grade, so, yeah. Does that does that make it a little a little special though that uh, that it's music that he was drawn to and had a heart for? Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I think back on a lot of my my well, both sets of grandparents on my mom and dad's side. They really didn't get to see you know what we've done in our music. Um, but I think they always kind of knew that I would do something in this in this musical world because um, I just I was always singing as a kid. You know, music was just instilled in me at such a young age. I don't. I think they realized there was no way that I couldn't <clears throat> not have a career or something in music at some point, you know. Yeah. So you just did you always know that you wanted to be on stage and sing? Yes. Yeah. I mean, from the time that I, you know, could talk and walk, and my mom and dad were getting me out there uh, in the musical world, you know, and in what they knew. Um, so yeah, I definitely. I always had a deep feeling in my heart that it was just what I was supposed to do. Sometime we're going to load up a lot of those shows on on our YouTube channel, you in competition. Yeah, I got as a kid. many. <laughs> yeah. And uh man, I've watched a bunch of bunch of them and talking about somebody with authority and attitude when she was young. <laughs> she got out there and stole it. <laughs> <clears throat> I know. Darren's now she's shy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a, I'm a little more reserved, that's all. <laughs> but she used to, you know, get out there and just take over. It was funny. One uh, one MC one time at a show, he said uh, when I was a kid, it was at one of the shows in Pigeon Forge. They used to have a singing competition every year, and uh, so I entered that, and I, I did Cowboy Sweetheart, and uh, we had to wear a number, you know, so the judges could see what number we were and everything. And half of my family had went, I think, to that to that event, and uh, I yodeled during my song, and my little number fell off in the middle of it, and I just, you know, you could, I couldn't bend down and get it, so I just I just kept performing, doing what I do, and the guy came back out. He said, well, she yodeled so hard, her number fell off. <laughs> 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 so there's lots of great memories from, uh, from doing those competitions, and once again, I'm just very thankful to my parents for, you know, encouraging me and, and, and showing me, you know, opportunities when I was little, so. You, you guys met in 05, uh, how uh and you guys courted for what two or three years before you got married mm-hmm. three three she's on it she's ready <laughs> <laughs> defer to her any related yeah. questions <laughs> thank you <laughs> uh, you keep up with it pretty good though yeah. how do you pop the question bro oh my well he Give the short version <laughs> this was at spigma one year um at and, spigma yeah man yeah well, he, he had invited me to go. This was my first time I'd ever been to Spigma. He was still okay. playing with the circuit riders. And uh, so we went out there, and he said, now, you need to bring some really nice clothes because we're going to go to the Opryland Hotel one night. And uh, so I did. And uh, he I thought, you don't have to dress up to go in there because he told me that I had to. Short version I, I'd, now. I'd been in there before. <laughs> but anyways, so uh, he walked me around that place for two hours, though, and I had on stiletto heels, and I was in a bad mood at this point because my feet were hurting, and he kept saying, I want to get down to that waterfall down there, and uh, I thought, okay, ask somebody. He never would ask anybody, so. You've been in there, you know. Yeah. It's, right it's in the big. middle, it's got all those little trails. It's the garden area. And I had yeah. never, I've seen it on pictures, but down there where the pretty waterfall is is where I wanted to take her. Man, I couldn't. We walked to the top row, and other one i was like how in the world do you get down there you know and i didn't want to be real obvious and we had a time for reservations and i was thinking about that and it is huge in there it's got three it's different big place. big old places that you can go it's a big you know? place especially if you got stiletto heels exactly on, right? yes oh you look good <laughs> i did look good but my attitude wasn't too good but we got we got down to the waterfall eventually and uh so he goes to get down on his knee and starts you know digging for the ring in his pocket and i realized what was happening and i thought oh my gosh i said i've been so hateful these last couple of hours you know and he i think he was second guessing at that point <laughs> but uh of course he asked i said yes and uh it was it was just awesome it was a great night i still have that picture from i think we went back up on top of the little walkway thing yeah. and took a picture facing down. down where the waterfall was so once we figured out how to go up and down i know <laughs> <laughs> he, hadn't got, he hadn't figured that, that out that was yet. our second trip to nashville wasn't it? is that right 
I thought it was my first, no, that was my first time at Spigma. So yeah, it was our second trip to Nashville. Yep. So that's how, that's how he did it. Man, you get, you guys got married in 08 and your guys' first record came out in 08. Were you, were you guys married when the record came out? We were not. No, because I was still justice. Yeah. yeah that's what I, record. that's what I thought looking at the cover. Yeah, so, yeah, but it was, a. it was an all gospel album too. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, I pulled a lot of things that I grew up singing in church. So it was a, it was a great album. Um, so you guys got married. Record come out. Oh, eight was a big year for Darren and Brooke. Yeah, it was <laughs> <laughs> big year, big year. Hey, kicking your guys off, uh, you know, as a married couple and as a as a, as a singing duo. Mm-hmm. Um, you, that first record was all gospel. How how long before you kind of started transitioning into doing um, more secular music? Uh, pretty pretty much right away. I mean, we wanted to do that because that's where we had most of the material and she was comfortable. And uh, a lot of places we were lined up to play at that time were a lot of churches or gospel events, you know. And I'd talked to Tom Riggs at Pine Castle Records, and that's when we released that record because I'd been with that through uh, the Country Gentleman years. And, of course, the Circuit Riders record was on Pine Castle. I did one solo project there, and... I went to him with the idea and let him hear Brooke, and he's like, yeah, I'll do a record, you know, right away. But um, we uh, was, I don't want to say persuaded, but we was asked by Mountain Home to come give them a a listen, and Jerry Sally wanted to produce a record for us after he heard the gospel record and our singing. And he had a lot of songs that he brought to the table. Uh, It was a mix of gospel kind of country and bluegrass and it really set a good foundation of what me and Brooke do mm-hmm. Jerry saw early on the potential and, and the road ahead I guess you could say so he produced our first two records on Mountain Home. Do you think that coming from the gospel background and then kind of you can't just go straight from singing all gospel to like killing a bunch of people mm-hmm. you know like, right. <laughs> yeah. exactly. you know do, do you think that that kind of helps set the foundation for your guys's music as far as materials concerned i know that you guys uh always wanting to have music that's positive and uplifting and has good message that lifts people up um mm-hmm. it's it why do you think that's important and that's a that's something you guys kind of haven't strayed from over the past you know, however many years it's been. Mm-hmm. It, it was definitely, um, we felt like a, our brand, you know, that's what, because we, we're both, we're both very positive people and we always just have always tried to be encouraging to others. And so we felt like that's kind of the, you know, the angle we should go from. And, uh, and you're right, we have kept that going um, because that's how we feel, you know, in our, in our daily lives and our and of course in the music too. And, you know, we wanted to be that couple that was positive and uplifting to other people because especially in this day and time, you just don't, you don't see that a lot. And, um, you know, I guess growing up old fashioned with our, in our families and, um, having those values instilled in us in an early age, um, you know, that's just, that's just how we were. And, mm. uh, so we wanted to, to make sure that we always kept that message going i guess right yeah from what we learned folks you know email us call or tell us it shows they uh, appreciate you know what we stand for and what we sing about and how much it's helped them through our lives a certain song or through their lives i mean mm-hmm. a certain song that we've sang or it was on a record helped them get through you know their their daily trials and that and that we worked as a as one you know we weren't ever on stage we're, we're never trying to outdo the other person you know it's just it's very there's a mutual respect there and I think, like like I said, I think couples need to see that, you know. What are some challenges that come about from being married to your music and business partner? Are there any Are there any hurdles, or is there anything that's kind of that challenging about that? No, there really hasn't been for us. <laughs> never, you know, had a bad, you know, you know, people want to say y'all fight. I know, you know, and we we don't, especially anything over music and us traveling we we work together very well as one and you know i think it would be extremely hard without it mm-hmm. you know yeah. if i was out and i've done that a few times go out playing with some other people get hired out and it's it's different you know you got used to that her being beside of you singing traveling you know everything what are some keys to making it work so well that you guys think um just i drive most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> Well, just just agreeing and having the same kind of ideas about pretty much everything. I mean, um, 
And if you don't, then figuring out a way around that. You know, you can't you, you can't have too many differences or it doesn't work. Um, but I feel like we came from such similar backgrounds that that's why it does work. Um, we just kind of know what to expect from the and other. We, <clears throat> we even each other out very well. Mm-hmm. Her strong suits are my weaker points and my stronger things are her weaker points. So we just mold together. Yeah, just to really, really complimentary. Yeah. 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 Uh, we mentioned that, you know, the songs that you guys have, the, the music with a message, the the uplifting songs, the, 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 the positivity, it sounds like you guys are being true to yourself, um, but it also kind of challenges other people as well. So that's that's got to be... It's got to be fun to see that you're not just singing a song that's just going to be like, oh, well, that's fun. But like it, you know, it can kind of make an impact. Exactly. Um, What was, you know, I think there's a, there's a misconception that gospel music is the only, you know, music with a message or whatever. But how important do you guys think it is to, for folks to see that, you know, you can bless people with secular music just as much as you can with a, a, a standard gospel song? Sure. I mean, even off our new record, you know, the song Old Fashioned yeah. has related to a bunch of people. And, you know, it's just a it's just a down to right earth, uh, I guess, country song with good morals. You know, I guess would be the way to put it. Mm-hmm. You? Mm-hmm. And anytime you, you listen to any song, you know, it, it's it's how it speaks to you. You know, you can't say that just gospel music is is inspirational or encouraging because um, down through the years, I think every song in any genre uh, speaks to people differently. So I don't, that's, that's sometimes in genres, you know, you get labeled as being this genre, that genre, you know, uh, singing good music or bad music, whatever. I mean, I think people just need to give songs a chance and, and then you can decide after that, how it speaks to you. Brooke and I was never wanted to record something that we didn't believe in or really like, or that had a good message or we had a heart for. Mm -hmm. And it could have held us back over the years, but you know, I've taken another great song, but if we didn't much, I don't want to say care for it, but have the heart to do it. You know, there's nothing fake about me and Brooke. We're going to be true to ourselves, and that's what we set out to do. And if that holds us back, then so be it. Well, if a song doesn't speak to you, then how can you get it to speak to somebody else? Exactly. Versus somebody else that if it, I mean, it might be a great song, but if it speaks to somebody else that they might be able to, you know, relay that message better. That's right. It's hard to sell something you don't believe in. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Um, You mentioned the the genre labels Mm -hmm. and it's kind of hard to put your guys' music in a box. You know, you guys have the you know the the spiritual side the bluegrass side like a country side americana side why do you guys uh why do you guys think it's important to be able to just not worry about genre labels not worry about necessarily like you know barriers or or boundaries within your guys's musical styles pretty much just what i said with believing in in what we're performing and playing and and what song speaks to us we never set out that this was kind of an Americana song or just a gospel song. We just wanted to do music we loved. And from what we've said earlier on who helped us build foundations and who we looked up to and liked in music, uh, you know, just comes out in Brooke and I and what we pick. So it, it can be, you know, put in a box however somebody looks at it, I guess, you know. To the real hardcore Americana folkish people, you know, we're the farthest thing from it. But the real traditional bluegrass people that hear us is like, I ain't bluegrass at all. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's how it's always been. But, you know, we, we're just going to keep doing what we do. And, you know, I feel like that's all we can do. Yeah. You know? Well, that's how you make music grow for, for so much, you know. I've heard Tim O'Brien say that. I learned that early on in an in interview listening to him. It's just music evolves and develops in that, you know, the same thing what Monroe and the guys did creating bluegrass to some that was just way outside the box for you know doing that and they really stepped out on a ledge to create that that we all love now mm-hmm. you look back you know 20 30 years ago at what Tim and those guys were doing the same thing yeah you know it, it always evolves and grows and we've uh, got to do a lot with John Cowan and man him being one of the the guys for new grass is you know hugely opened a lot of doors for us you know 
in the in the world and singing and playing and how we thought about a song and and getting a song across and and then we work with you know like Vince and Ricky and Jimmy Fortune and that's a whole other side you know end of the countryish type of world and uh, it's really been a blessing for us. Do you ever feel like the hustle and bustle of life keeps you from accomplishing your goals and staying on track? Have you ever felt exhausted at the end of the day, but yet feel like you've accomplished nothing? Help focus on your goals and stay on track with a self-journal from Best Self Co. Whether you're starting your own business, a college student, or you're just feeling overwhelmed with day-to-day life, the self-journal is packed with tools to help you get more done. With features including daily planning, a 13-week roadmap for your goals, inspirational quotes, daily and weekly habit tracking, and a place to record morning and evening gratitude. Best Self Co. offers a line of productivity tools to help you accomplish more. Check out all of their products at bestself.co. Use code BLUEGRASS to save 15% off of your first purchase. That's bestself.co, code BLUEGRASS to save 15% off your first purchase. You mentioned you mentioned John Cowan. I think you guys are frequent collaborators with him. Um, how did how did that uh, relationship start? As far as you know, partnering with John on several different well, projects. Well, I've been I've been following those guys as as much as possible. You know, I was a huge Newgrass fan. Uh, I got to see John and Sam play at a at a local place there in Carolina called Green Acres, and of course, come up here to Merlefest a lot and and saw different collaborations that they were in. And there's also a place called Acoustic Stage in Hickory that a lot of guys had come to at that time, that type of music. And I was playing, uh, before The Gentleman, I was playing with Acoustic Syndicate, a band there from Carolina. And we did a lot of those type of events and got to be around Sam and John, knew those guys. So as those years developed and seeing them, uh, didn't see them as much when I was with The Gentleman because that was just a whole different style of, of festivals and places we played but when me and Brooks started and doing Music City Roots we run into John one time in Nashville and I took her to see Cowan a couple times like in Boone when she was in college you know and uh, so we went to Acoustic Stage in Hickory one night and he was singing and he said well don't you and Brooke get up and sing a tune with me (laughs) you're like okay (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) and uh, we did and and like that next week he called and said man I got to do a show there and near y'all's hometown and at that time he went back with the doobie brothers and was playing full-time and his band uh, jeff altry and chad cobb was really doing other things he'd kind of let that go so he had booked this show over there and it's like he kind of needed a band to put together and he said man i sang so good with y'all and i was versatile to play and he said let's let's try to put that together so we did that show as a four-piece that night mm-hmm. And uh, we just started booking things on top of that. We all had fun and did a little bit of his material, a little of ours, and we worked up some new things. And it's really just endless of what we could do. And he he enjoyed, uh, he'd sang, of course, with females down through the years, but never in a, a total band setting like that, that he could just sing whatever and Brooke could sing over top of him, you know. And I was right underneath because I've got a high voice too. And the, man, the vocals were very powerful and it's fun for us all. Mm-hmm. So we started adding Chad Cobb into the mix, and then Carly was playing with us at the time, and she played a lot of the songs and the, the shows with us on fiddle. Matt Menifee was playing banjo, so it was a good time. That's awesome. <laughs> and and we were talking about you know not putting yourselves in boxes or, or, or boundaries on yourself, and there's no hard to find a better example of that than John Cowan as yeah. far as just doing – not really putting not putting limits on what you can do mm-hmm. um, that had to be inspiring as well yeah definitely I mean and he you know just standing beside somebody that's that powerful of a singer I mean I, I know I sing hard but you know you can't you don't always listen to yourself and uh, so singing with John really brought me even more out of my shell I think and mm-hmm. you know made me realize how to, you know kind of how to connect with the audience a little bit better as a singer so I'm very grateful for that and just yeah. the confidence I think he give her the confidence boost she needed at that time that was back in 2016 17 mm-hmm. and um you know i think she won the first female vocalist that year in 17 yeah he's just been very encouraging and you know it may be times when i didn't think i was singing my best he would be like you sound great you know just and and he didn't have to do that 
but because he did that, like it just it just helped me grow as an artist. So I'm very very fortunate in that sense. He was one of the the guys that uh, suggested she do someday soon. Yeah, record it. Love that. Yeah, yeah. We uh, we was just sound checking. She did that in a show in Florida. The Nitty Gritty Dirt Band was there. They all lived down there in Sarasota, and they come over to the show to join in with us and just kind of set in on some songs and uh, heard her sound checking. It's like whatever you do, do that tonight, you know. <laughs> and we've been doing it ever since. Yeah. <laughs> Put it on the next album, yep. Tell me about your guys' Opry debut. Oh my goodness, um, it it's an experience that never gets old. You know that feeling, like even though we've played it more than once now it's just stepping out into that circle and and knowing all of your musical heroes that have stood there in that room there's just a there's just a I don't know there's just a presence in that room of all the people that you can think about standing there singing those songs and bringing hope to the world you know because the Opry's been there through the most devastating of times you know and uh they've always kept a light on so to actually think about getting to do that as a kid and then standing there it's just there really are no words. <laughs> Never gets old. So. Yeah, the first time we got to do it was with with Cal. Yeah. And you know, of course, a lot of our family was there. You know, we had thirty, forty, come over from Carolina mm-hmm. to be with us, and this it was very cool for me to get to do it together for the first time, and and it flashed back in my mind a lot of the times that I'd sit there and watch that at home as a kid. You know, and. Yeah seeing all the heroes I got to uh, look up to and learn from, get to play there, do that. We've been fortunate to get to do it about 34 times since. Mm -hmm. Who's counting, right? (laughs) (laughs) Somewhere around there. I don't know how many. but And they've they've, uh, been great to let us grow and and do whatever we wanted there. They've never said do a certain set of songs or material because they know that we're pretty wide, you know, sometimes Brooke and I'll just go over as the two of us and sit in with the house band and do kind of a, you know, classic country-ish type set. And then we'll do the bluegrass set at sometimes, you know, with our band or just a collaboration of both. So they, they enjoy that and like, like what we can, we can bring to the table as a duo. The, the debut was really cool too because Eddie Stubbs was there that night and, uh, you know, he was somebody that we'd always listened to growing up through the years and uh so to, to have that voice you know say the things that he said about us was uh was really was really neat and it was just off the cuff like he had nothing written down he just said what he said from the heart and uh we I still have the recording of that I, I want to make a, a a picture of it sometime to hang in our living room about the things that he said and just how he talked about we were standing you know he many years he watched us come to the Opry um you know as backstage guests and he could see the stars in our eyes and uh we would stand behind the wings um behind the ropes watching other people go on and and you know and then he said like tonight's the night that they get to step into that circle themselves so that that was really special to have that yeah wow before he retired you know so yeah yeah. who who were some other some other you know opry mainstays that were encouraging on your debut that 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 meant a lot uh Jeannie seeley of course she's she's been a big cheerleader um the whites the whites were there yep um, trying to remember, maybe John Conley was there that night. Mm-hmm. Um, I, Your dad was there that night when we debuted. He that's was. Right. That's right. Because we got to do the uh, we got to do a little commercial with him for the the chips. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was special. That was. And, uh, of course, Ricky and. Uh, I think the Graskels were there too. Crowd was uh, always encouraging and get texts from those guys that we you know looked up to and now became good friends with over the years. The, your guys' experiences at the Opry inspired you to write a song called Grand Old Circle. Uh-huh. Um, how did, uh, what what struck you as the, the, that, you know, hallowed circle on the Opry stage would make a good idea for a song? Well, actually, our friend Bill White, um, who we've recorded a lot of his songs down through the years, he brought the idea to us. Um, I had put up a post on, on my social media page about standing in the, holding hands in the in the grand old circle or something like that. So he took that idea and come to us and said, have y'all wrote a song about the Opry? And we said, no. And he said, well, I think, I think you need to. Um, so we sat down and, and talked about the experience that we had had there, of course. And then, you know, kind of 
from his standpoint too, like of course he he said he'd never gotten to play the Opry, but he does guest DJ on WSM a lot, and uh, you know getting to write and stuff a lot in Nashville with different artists. Um, he just thought it'd be a great idea for us to to kind of go from something. So we we come up with the idea of the first verse kind of being like a history lesson, and then the chorus would talk about different artists that we remember as kids and just people who've inspired us through the years that we remember being on that Opry stage. Um, so we included a lot of those folks in that, in the choruses. Um, all, all the choruses were different. Yeah. And then um, the second verse was about our actual experience and, and that quote that Eddie Stubbs, um, what he said about us that night, standing behind the ropes from the yeah. wings watching, you know. So um, so that's kind of, that's where we got the idea. And uh, like I said too, the Opry always being a, you know, a beacon of hope for people and the light always staying on. I think they're fixing to come up that on their 5,000th broadcast. Five, yeah. so. That's insane. <laughs> it meant a lot during the, you know, the pandemic for us to be able to write so much and some more and to see that, you know, on TV and listen to it on the radio with, with no crowd, you know, just mm-hmm. them doing a few things. And that really touched a lot of people, touched us. So we wanted to write something about that. Yeah. You've used that phrase a couple times about the opera being a a beacon of hope. Mm -hmm. And do you guys hope that your guys' positive message and positive music and uplifting spirit can be a beacon of hope to folks during in a kind of dark world that (laughs) that we all find ourselves in? Absolutely. I think we've always felt like that even before, um, even before you know we got to play the opry we always wanted like i said our music to be positive and uplifting and then to to know that we're playing the opry where that has always been the case like it just it feels like we fit in there and our music is is very welcome there because of that reason um so yeah i think so (laughs) you guys when you guys uh started off with the the uh, the goal of making uplifting music you guys couldn't have seen how much of a blessing that that could be. I mean, of course you, of course at that time, but it became even more prominent over these past, you know, couple of years mm-hmm. where, you know, there's a lot of crazy stuff going on in, in, our, in our country, in our world where everybody's kind of divided and a lot of finger pointing, name calling. Um, <laughs> so to see that, uh, uh, people that make music that is meant to be positive in a world that, is even more negative now than it was 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, that's gotta, I don't know. That's gotta feel good that you can be that kind of, you know, calm, reassuring, positive, uplifting voice when there's not a lot of them right now. Yeah. 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 Just, just try to be, you know, and listen to the ones that's, that's helped us get through hard times in the past and just try to get that message out there. Yeah. Music, you know, it's, it's, Yes, it's music and you're singing it, but at the same time, it's a language and it's 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 words that you're listening to, um, to bring you out of hard times. And um, I, I think no matter what differences you have, when you go to some kind of music event, it's almost like you become one. So, it, mm-hmm. and that's what country and bluegrass has, you know, done for so many years. Mm-hmm. If you listen to a lot of the interviews and hear people talk about it, whether it's Bill or Jimmy Martin or. Merle Haggard, it takes you to another place, you know, in time. And if you can uh, help somebody through through anything, and it helps us most of the time, just take their their mind off something or their hard times or trials for 15 minutes, well, you feel like you've done your job. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. Thank appreciate you. it, Daniel. Thanks. <laughs> I told you we shared a lot of laughs. That's my conversation with Darren and Brooke Aldridge, the Sweethearts of Bluegrass, here on the Walls of Time Bluegrass podcast. I hope you had as much fun uh, listening to that conversation as I did sitting there and uh, having a ball with Darren and Brooke. Thanks for listening to the Walls of Time Bluegrass podcast. Uh, We have had some requests on uh, the Walls of Time Bluegrass podcast shirts. Uh, our website updated and kind of changed some stuff where they had been listed on there. If someone is interested in a Walls of Time Bluegrass podcast shirt, you could uh, message me on the Walls of Time Bluegrass podcast Facebook or Instagram account. You can also shoot me an email, daniel 
at real, R-E-A-L, roots, R-O-O-T-S, radio.com, and uh, we'll see if we can hook you up. Uh, hopefully, we'll be able to have some more merch uh, in the coming weeks. Stay tuned. If you enjoy the Walls of Time Bluegrass podcast, check out some of the folks that make this great podcast uh, possible. That would be our friends at Samson's Hair Care. They've been with us since the beginning. All sorts of great uh, hair and beard products, uh, shampoos, conditioners, pomades, matte styling creams, beard oils, and more. Samson'sHairCare.com. Use code BLUEGRASS to save 10%. Uh, also, our newest sponsor, Lawn Chair USA. Go to LawnChairUSA.com. They are the world's leading provider of folding lawn chairs. Perfect for your next bluegrass festival. LawnChairUSA.com. Use code WALLSOFTIME to save 10% off your new favorite lawn chair. And our friends at Best Self Co. as well. All sorts of productivity tools, planners, journals, conversation decks, and more. BestSelf.co. Use code BLUEGRASS to save 15% off. Until next time, thanks for joining me on the Walls of Time Bluegrass Podcast.